goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the soul of excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Ditto heads. Attention, Bo Scouts. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the soul of excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now, here's Bo Snurdly. Welcome to your Wednesday. If you'd like to be part of the program, all you have to do. Pick up the telephone, 800-848-WABC. That's the number to call, 848-9222. And, of course, so much in the news. Uh, Later this uh, afternoon, Molly Hemingway will be joining us. Molly Hemingway, editor-in-chief of The Federalist. She's also a brilliant columnist, a brilliant political thinker, brilliant author. So we'll be pleased to have a conversation with Molly Hemingway. The We started with this story yesterday as our, one of our lead stories, if not the lead story, and that was the McDonald's shooting. Yes, the, 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 the cold French fries shooting, where a woman complaining on FaceTime about her, she was at a McDonald's, but she was FaceTiming her son while she was complaining with the staff there about her cold french fries. What does her son do? Her son rushes to his mommy's aid because his mommy can't handle the cold french fries by herself. She needs Sonny Boy to help out. So Sonny Boy shows up at McDonald's. This happened in Bedford-Stuyvesant, by the way, Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy. So Sonny Boy comes along and Lo and behold, the next thing you know, Sonny Boy is arguing with the person in McDonald's because his mommy's french fries were cold. Sonny Boy doesn't like the fact that his mommy's french fries were cold. So Sonny Boy and his girlfriend were there, by the way, his 18-year-old girlfriend. So, Sonny Boy gets into it with with the McDonald's associate and ends up shooting the McDonald's associate in the neck. McDonald's guy is still in the hospital. We hope he survives. And the unidentified as of yesterday, Sonny Boy and Mommy, and we now learn girlfriend, took off. The fries apparently were still cold. Well... There have been developments in this case. Today, we learned that Michael Morgan, 20 years old, has been taken into custody. And he was taken into custody shortly after the cold French fries shooting. And late yesterday, 
on Taco Tuesday, Mr. Cold French Fry, Sonny Boy, was charged with attempted murder and criminal possession of a weapon. Now, that's not all. Along with Sonny Boy, Michael Morgan, his 18-year-old squeeze, Camelia Dunlop, 18 years old, Mr. Morgan's girlfriend, has also been charged with not one, but two counts of criminal possession of a weapon. Her exact role in the shooting is still unknown. Now, the 23-year-old who has been shot is still, I believe, in critical condition. Yes, he is at Brookdale University Hospital Medical Center. The mother, whose cold french fries started all of this, has made a statement. And ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to hear the statement from the woman whose cold french fries at McDonald's resulted in this crime. Miss Cold French Fries, Lisa Fulmore, by the way, that's not the same name as her son, just saying. Um, Lisa Fulmore, she's 40 years old, her son is 20. She told the New York Post exclusively that she talked with her son, Mr. Cold French Fries shooter. That would be Michael Morgan. And she had this to report to all of us. She said, and I'm quoting Mrs. Lisa Fulmore, whose complaint about cold french fries led to this dastardly crime. She said, my son is just saying that he got to do what he got to do and the victim came after him and whatever happened, happened. So there you go. This is the explanation why her son shows up at McDonald's while she's complaining about cold french fries. Her son and his 18-year-old squeeze show up. Both of them are now in police custody, charged with crimes. And the mother, the person who's cold french fries, started all of this, says, my son is just saying that he got to do what he got to do. And the victim came after him, and whatever happened, happened. That's going to be one heck of a defense. I can't wait to hear how that one plays out in court. That's assuming it goes to trial. Remember, we are in New York, which means Alvin Bragg, no, no, this was in Brooklyn, which means the Brooklyn prosecutors could simply just say, you know what? Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. You're out. You're you're let free. It could happen. But if this does indeed go go into trial, if it goes to trial, it'll be interesting to see how that defense plays out. Horrible. Moving on. 
There is upset in the world of fantasy today. There's a lot of upset in the world of fantasy, and I might, if I didn't know better, think that there was something else underlying this sad development. We have rarely seen something like this happen. And and in fact, this may be the first time that something of this magnitude has happened in the world of fantasy. Batgirl has been shelved by Warner Brothers. You're killing me, Smalls. The studio has spent $70 million on Batgirl. It was slated to be released on HBO Max later this year. They had a few test screenings. The audience apparently didn't like what they saw. Now, this is why I say this might turn into something other than just a story about Batgirl, about a $70 million movie being made. Oh, and by the way, Warner Brothers made it clear. They're not just banning this thing from ever getting into the movie screens. They don't want it on any platform. They won't even show it on YouTube. In other words, this thing is going into the into one of those archives that they throw the super the superhero villain. It may never ever ever be seen by anybody outside the few people that saw it and thought it was crapola. Now, here's why this may turn into something else in our society. The film star was a Latina actress. A Latina, what are they called? Latinx. That's what they call in woke communities. The film has featured a Latinx, a Latina actress, Leslie Grace, in the titular role as the battled Brendan Fraser's fly, who turned to a life of crime. I, I can't even follow this the way it's written. Anyway, Michael Keaton's Batman was only featured in a few of the scenes. Barbara Gordon in Fantasy Life, the daughter of Commissioner Gordon. And apparently the film featured a woke Latina Batgirl and Barbara Gordon in a story that sounds downright awful. One of the com- a comic book uh, news writer wrote. They are saying this is an irredeemable movie, and that the costumes look cheap. How in the world do you spend $70 million on a movie and the costumes look cheap? I don't get that. That's terrible. Well, Batgirl has got the hook. And we shall see. Now, you know, this is going to make this movie even more famous because everybody now is going to want to see this movie to see just how awful it is.
But have you noticed something else? And I'm not a big comic book person. I don't really follow this stuff. I used to read comics when I was a kid. Of course I read Batman. But have you noticed something else? The movies of women associated with Batman, all of them stink. Remember Catwoman with Haley, uh, with uh, what's her name? You know, the, 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 what's her name with the short hair, the, the one that everybody looks at and, and says she's such a hottie. Haley, Halle Berry. That one. She was Catwoman, and that movie stunk up the place. And now we have Batgirl, and apparently Batgirl stunk up the place so much, they don't want anybody to see it. Of course, the directors are just really upset. They think they've produced a fine piece of work here. And the directors are just angry, sad, and upset about all of it. But this will make Batgirl a very famous, unseen, but famous movie for generations to come. This is The Rush Hour with Bose Nerdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Lion, the family stone, bring us back on WABC. From the Stand album. There is a story that was in the Washington Post. Now, this is not a news story. Oh, okay. Before we do this. Yes, we're going to talk about the primaries. We had primaries in four states yesterday. Liberals are in heaven because in Kansas, voters came out in record numbers to support the idea that that's, that state, it's a red state, but they are still going to provide abortion rights in that state. That was the verdict of the voters yesterday. And liberals are be, besides themselves with joy. And you can see it in the pictures. There are pictures. These people are celebrating like they just got the best news ever in their lives. They're so happy. And I ask myself, why are they this happy over this quote-unquote procedure? That's just very, very strange. But there was also justice for a few rhinos, and we'll get to all of that. Molly Hemingway will join us. And so we are going to talk about the elections and the things, the primary elections that happened yesterday, and, you know, mixed news. But there's a story. Let's contrast that first story. Mr. 20-year-old, I'm shooting a McDonald's worker in the neck because my mommy's french fries at McDonald's were cold. I'm going to try to kill somebody because... The French fries were cold. Let us examine that culture and then 
turn to another culture for a moment. There was a story in the Washington Post earlier this week. No, I'm sorry, this was about three weeks ago. About a 13-year-old girl. Here's the headline. She just got accepted to medical school. She's 13. Elena Anna Lee Wicker is like other 13-year-olds in that she enjoys going to the movies, playing soccer, baking, hanging out with friends. But very much unlike other teenagers, she just got accepted to medical school. I'm still a normal 13-year-old, said Elena. She is a student at both Arizona State University and Oakwood University, where she is simultaneously earning two separate undergraduate degrees in biological sciences. She says, I just have extremely good time management skills, and I'm very disciplined. In May, Elena was offered a spot at the University of Alabama's Hersing School of Medicine for 2024, part of its early assurance program, which offers early admission to applicants who meet specific requirements. Elena is more than 10 years younger than the average incoming medical student. What is age? Said Elena, who lives just outside Fort Worth and is completing most of her courses online. You're not too young to do anything. I feel like I've proven myself that I can do anything that I put my heart and mind to. Elena was three years old. Her mother started noticing she was far from a typical toddler. Elena was gifted. It was just how she did things, says her mom's Daphne McCorder, and how she advanced she was. She was reading chapter books at age three. In the fifth grade, Now, when she went to public school, guess what? She was bullied. She was bullied for being smart. And this happens all too often. Smart kids are made to feel that there's something wrong with them because they're smart. They're bullied. They're picked on because they're smart. Little boy, she said, they bullied me. He would tease me, call me smarty pants. Her mother decided to homeschool her for several years after that. In fifth grade, though, she went back to traditional schooling, but she continued to take advanced high school level courses at home. Her mom created a curriculum for her. During the pandemic, Elena decided to expand her, co- her coursework even more. She's algebra, was easy, geometry, intuitive, biology, a breeze. I was bored, she said. The high school work was so easy for me that I ended up graduating from high school at 12 years old. And it goes on and on. Now, she's also an entrepreneur. She opened a business called Brown STEM Girl, an organization aimed at providing opportunities for girls of color interested in exploring careers in STEM. That would be science, technology, I think, blah, blah, blah. What is that STEM thing? Engineering and and math. Yeah. 
Oh, did I mention this is an African-American girl? Not that it matters, but she is. We're showing the world that there are girls out there just like me, and they deserve an opportunity and a chance. The point, the reason I'm bringing up this story is what this girl is doing. Yes, she may have been born a little more gifted than some, but the ingredients of her success are there. She's got a mother who cares enough about her that her mom took her out of school when she was being bullied, and her mother prepared a challenging course for her and didn't stop challenging her intellect. Her mother cares about her daughter to the extent that her mother puts her own time in making sure her daughter is successful. Also, Elena cares about herself. She says it, I'm disciplined, I work hard. And she challenges herself to be better. This isn't impossible. Meanwhile, and now look look at New York. Look look at what we have here in Brooklyn. Some 20-year-old guy who can't see beyond his own ignorance goes in and shoots someone else because his mommy's french fries are cold. Or we have in case after case after case unperforming children coming out of New York City schools who can't even read high school level who can't even read junior high school level. If you want to know what child abuse looks like, real child abuse is what's happening in many of the public schools in this nation, where children are being groomed sexually, where no one's talking about these kids about how they can achieve and use their intellect, where they're being forced into thinking about their sexuality while they're still barely out of diapers. If you want to talk child abuse in this country, let's talk about what's happening to kids in America's public schools. And then let's talk about what a real success track looks like. And it is not impossible for any of America's children to succeed. It is not impossible. But far too many of us have given up on the idea that that is their birthright to succeed. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, coming back. Molly Hemingway will join us after this. The Rush Hour is on the air. Attention Ditto Heads. Attention Bo Scouts. Rush. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. W-A-B-C Talk Radio 77 in New York. Steve Winwood. Brings us back. Remember, catch it night up next after this show. Undoubtedly, the biggest hit for this gifted artist, Steve Winwood. High love. So pleased to have with us on the telephone the editor-in-chief of The Federalist, also an amazing columnist, amazing author, 
She's the author of the book, Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and Democrats Seized Our Elections, the one, the only, Molly Hemingway. Molly, what a pleasure to have you. It's great to be here with you. Well, Molly, what do you think of last night was yesterday was primary day. Uh, today, the left in America is a buzz. They are glowing. They are they are they are just besides themselves with joy and happiness because in Kansas, voters decided that they wanted to make sure that abortion rights were retained in the constitution of that state. There were some other losses and gains. What's your take on primary day yesterday? Anything stand out for you? Well, the the Kansas race was a win for people who support abortion. I think that they should recognize a few things, though. One, it actually isn't in the Constitution of Kansas. I, or I think it's at least arguable that it's in the Constitution. The Supreme Court of Kansas said that abortion was inside the Constitution. This ballot initiative was trying to clarify that it wasn't and that people could make restrictions. But the campaign against this ballot initiative was highly funded. It was full of misinformation. It was a resounding defeat for pro-life forces. But I don't think it's the end of the story because I actually think Kansas is a state that would like to be able to have at least some restrictions on abortion, which is the uh, mainstream position throughout the country. But um, overall, I think it's great to have a primary night. You get some answers to questions that you're wondering about the direction of the parties. And the Republican Party certainly had some increased solidification of the new direction it's going in. And what I mean by that is for decades, the Republican Party had kind of been stayed and stagnant and you know, was, had the answers to questions people hadn't been asking for decades. The new mm-hmm. Republican Party is much more vibrant, multiracial, much more working class, um, more diverse. And it's really addressing the problems people have with the economy, with the border, with cultural issues. And so Blake Masters winning in Arizona is a huge win. When he gets to the Senate, assuming he gets to the Senate, that will be the kind of powerful voice that represents that new Republican Party. Now, your counterparts in the mainstream press are saying, number one, that Kansas is a bellwether election. I don't believe it's a bellwether bellwether election because of some of the reasons you just said. But it's so funny to me that every time they get a result they like in the primaries, oh, this is the bellwether, and every time they don't get what they want, they just skip right by that election as if it never happened. There is uh, the Michigan race that was watched closely, where Representative uh, Peter Magier, who voted, one of ten to vote for Donald Trump's impeachment, lost a very close election. And there have been others that Trump endorsed that have won. So far, he's got a pretty good track record in the primaries. Would you agree with that? He is. There's a reason why people seek out his endorsement. It is a big, uh, it's a big help. That you saw last night that as soon as people thought that Peter Meyer might pull out a victory, they were writing all of the, what does it mean? And they said, oh, this shows that the party is moving away from America first principles. And um, it shows that Trump endorsements aren't all that they're cracked up to be because Kerry Lake is going to lose in Arizona and Peter Meyer is going to win in Michigan. Well, the fact that Peter Meyer did lose and Kerry Lake very well might win, I think she's you know, she's pretty much ahead right now, shows the power of those endorsements. But it also shows that the Republican Party is just kind of 
sick and tired of those people who mostly what they do is serve the Democrat Party from the position of a Republican Party elected official. They are they would like more unity, people being focused on what are the actual threats in the country and that era of Republicans that the left likes. That's kind of a big indicator. Republican voters don't like the type of Republicans that the left likes. That is obvious. But what do you think more and more? Your crystal ball, if you care to. Any predictions on how Liz Cheney will fare? I've never seen a Republican get more favorable press from the left in my entire life than Liz Cheney has gotten in the past six months. She has become a standard bearer hero to the left in this country. And they've gone out of their way to make sure that we know that in their eyes she is a, a, a hero. Any any prediction on how she will fare oh i have quite a few i used to live in wyoming i know a lot of people in wyoming the fact that she ever was a representative was not exactly a perfect match with the state she'd spent very little time there she you know basically grew up and lived in northern virginia an area she does represent well um and so Mm -hmm. i expect her to lose significantly she just doesn't like wyoming voters or the issues they care about and she's obsessed i mean she's she is just consumed by her hatred for Donald Trump. And that's fine. It's a free country. You can be that way. You don't get to represent the state that voted for him, you know, with 70 percent of the vote when your only thing that guides you is your hatred of one man. Do you think that she, by taking the position that she has, that this is a long term play for her? She must she must be politically astute to know she's going to lose this election. My guess is, and maybe this isn't so original, but my guess is she's waiting long term. She thinks eventually the Republican Party will turn on Donald Trump and she will be in position to claim that she was the the guiding force, the, the almost like a Churchillian move, that before everyone else, she was the naysayer and she was the only naysayer standing in the wilderness. Do you think that's her play or is she done politically? Yeah, now one gets the feeling that all politicians have this outsized view of themselves where they're going to be the hero of the country, and she's no exception to that. I think she knows she's going to lose, but I think that even if she doesn't think she can run for president or have some other political comeback, I think her goal is to make sure that the party returns to that era that we had from, like, 2000 to 2016 of interventionist wars. I think she wants that very deeply. She cares so much about neoconservatism in foreign policy. That's a thing that's very toxic for the Republican Party, but it's very personally important to her. That is the root of her hatred for Donald Trump, that he moved the country to an America first uh, focus on thinking about what America's interests are when we have a a fight with another country or whether we're deciding whether to go to war with another country. She found that reprehensible. She wants to go back to this era, that brief interlude where Republicans moved away from an America first foreign policy into interventionism. um, And she'd like to get back there. Do you think the move that some Democrats are doing and even that has gotten the blessing from the DNCC what Rush used to call Operation Chaos, but Rush only did it once, and he did it for a reason, to extend the primary season, not because he wanted Barack Obama to win, when he su- suggested that when Hillary was far behind, that Republicans switched party, vote for Hillary. They did in scores, and it did help prolong that primary season. Democrats, though, are, are cynically 
supporting Republic, uh, Republicans in some cases that they believe are the easiest to beat because they are, quote-unquote, extremist, far-right-wing Trump supporters. Do you think that this has the capacity to come back and bite Democrats in the butt? That's what I would say. Democrat, this is a tried-and-true practice that a lot of people have done over many years. The big danger with doing it is that if you're not smart about how you do it, you end up picking nominees who are actually stronger than the ones that you're trying to unseat. But I also think that people are trying to make it out like – there's a lot of complaints about how – the Democrats supported Meyer or supported Meyer's opponent in that Michigan race. And then he said, that's why he won. No, I mean, Meyer should have won this handily. He should have won it easily. He's the incumbent. They have like a 95% success rate that he lost is partly because he voted for impeachment, which is very unpopular with Republican voters or doing anything else. That's part of a Democrat dirty trick. It's also that he was politically not aligned. He was voting for big budgets. He was voting for um, some of these interventionist war things. He was voting for radical social policies that Democrats had pushed. Republican voters in Michigan did not think he represented them for a wide array of reasons. And the fact that Democrats supported his opponent is just is, is probably not as significant as they're making it out to be. Last question. Let's talk about your book. More people on the Republican side express concern that the elections coming up, whether it's the midterms or 2024, are not going to be fair. They look back at their thoughts happened in the last election and said this wasn't fair this was a rigged election now you have the uh spectacle of democrats which i i mean republicans which i find this wonderful actually volunteering to go into democrat precincts to observe in some cases places that they've never bothered to observe elections before your book rigged how media big tech and democrats seized our elections do can you talk to us about why you wrote the book, the important salient points in your book, and whether you think the next elections coming up are going to be fairer, fair, or just as bad? Okay, lots to lots to cover there, but the reason why I wrote the book is because Democrats have paid a lot of attention to elections, and Republicans have not, and it hasn't served Republicans well. We saw in 2020 the Democrats have basically completely overtaken the process in a way that was not fair and that caused a lot of people concern, and I thought people needed to know exactly what they had done. So I focus a lot on things like the private takeover of government election offices with those Zuckerbucks. Mark Zuckerberg gave a bunch of money to run Democrat get-out-the-vote operations from inside government offices. And the, the good thing about 2020 is that Republicans finally woke up to the need to do oversight and care about their election processes. And you're never going to have a perfectly fair or perfectly unfair election. The goal of Americans of both parties should be to have as free and fair of an election as possible, one that's trustworthy and one that doesn't disenfranchise people. And we've gone back and forth on that for hundreds of years. We are in a position now where Republicans are finally realizing they need to get out there. They need to volunteer. They need to pay attention to what their election laws are. And the good news is a lot of states have improved their election security. The bad news is a lot of states have a long way to go. And so the best thing I can recommend right now, though, is get involved, know your state laws, volunteer. We have don't just have election day. We have election season. So there's a lot of time and need for volunteers to make sure that there aren't shenanigans going on. Um, and to to just be part of the process. It's very important. And I would urge everyone that is interested in elections, if you want to speak with people about it, you should become armed with the facts. 
rigged. How the media, big tech, and Democrats seized our elections. Molly Hemingway. You can find it wherever you buy books. This is one that you need. Molly, thank you for joining us. Hope to speak with you again soon. Thank you. Take care. Molly Hemingway on WABC Talk Radio 77. We're coming back. Your call is coming up. 800-848-WABC. 800-848-9222. Coming back right after this. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snerdley on the Red Apple Podcast Network. From the Intervisions album, Higher Ground. Four Grammy Awards won this album. Stevie Wonder brings us back on WABC. Some breaking news, sad breaking news. Uh, Scott just pulled it up. Scott yeah. Soko. Scott, what's going on? Uh, according to Fox News, they're reporting that Republican Indiana Representative Jackie Walorski uh, was killed today in a plane or, uh, uh, car crash at the age of 58. She was uh, representing their second district since 2013 and had a uh, car accident today. Three people in the oncoming car were killed, and she was killed as well. That just That just came out in the past few minutes. Wow. What a tragedy. Thanks, Scott. Uh, let's head back to the telephones, ladies and gentlemen. Well, not head back, head to the telephones. Uh, let us start with John in Long Island. John, welcome. You're on Boston Airways Rush Hour. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. Nice to hear your voice. I love your show, and I love listening to your voice. Great show. Thank you. Well, you spoke yesterday about Ms. Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. And I just wanted to add a little to that. What people don't understand is it was actually a big misunderstanding. One of her staff had asked Ms. Pelosi if she'd like to go tie one on. So she agreed to that. And they pointed to the plane, and she just got on. She may have been half in the bag at that point. So. <laughs> oh, wonderful sense of humor. Uh, speaking of tied one on and Pelosi's, uh, her husband uh, was I think in Abin- was not there for his court proceedings, but apparently he's being arraigned. And the drunk, the DUI charges. It has been revealed that when he was asked for his identification, he also handed the officers a police courtesy card, hoping perhaps that he would get off. But that did not did not happen. Central New Jersey. Thanks, John. Pamela in Central New Jersey. Welcome. You're on WABC with James Golden. Boston early. How are you, Pamela? Uh, sad to hear about the Republican uh, representative. Um, 
uh, a hyper-exaggerated uh, example of an overindulgent mother who needs her son to defend her honor is uh, probably baby boomers will remember this movie. It's a mad, mad world. Ethel, um, Ethel Merman and Dick Sean. He was always coming to her rescue and defending her in case, uh, you know, and it seems like this is a rash of events where mommies are calling on their sons to do horrible things over French fries. Oh, my goodness. Over cold French fries. Yes. And then and then not not offering any regret. My son told me he's got to do he's got to do what he's got to do. What happened happened. I'm. It is stunning. Well, with a mom like that, can you see how the son is capable of doing what he's doing? I wonder. Thank you, Pamela. Appreciate the call so very much. Let us go to George in Rockland County. How are you, George? Nice talking to you, Mr. Golden. Okay, so that's my take about uh, primaries. Specifically, I'm advocating for open primaries. I believe... In New York State, okay, by having closed primaries, uh, the, as the Republicans are really shooting themselves in the foot. If you have an open primaries, in my opinion, you get everybody to participate and you get more of a real who would be the best qualified to run against the Democrat nomination. If it's a party uh, person here, well, you get some people here, but you don't really get a true best. Uh, of all here, and I think um, the Republicans are taking a page from the Democrat here, and uh, they may lose as much as I, I like George, as, to win. As much as I like your thought process, and I really do, uh, George, I don't know whether open primaries in New York would yield the results that you think they do. Because of the number of Democrats in New York versus the numbers of Republicans, I tend to think that Republicans would be driven from office in, in, in numbers that you would never see, even upstate elections. And all of a sudden, this party could find itself in even worse circumstances in New York, and that's saying a lot. But, George, it's an interesting idea. I wonder what others think about that, whether New York should have an open primary. It's a very interesting very interesting point. So thank you for the call. Do appreciate that. Uh, Frank in Staten Island, welcome. Thank you for holding. How you doing, James? Yeah, good, good afternoon. I want to talk about the Batgirl movie. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting that this is being shelved now after a budget of $70 million. So um, yeah, audiences are getting wise now. They're noticing a lot of bad stuff. They're noticing all the woke that is in the movies. Do you know that that in the that in the last in the last Doctor Strange movie, you have a character, a, a girl who has two moms. Okay, uh, it, Batwoman in the comic books is a lesbian. Um, there's a lot of pride characters right now in in, in comics, in in, in uh, not just movies, but the comics themselves. Pride comics. Okay, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what they're proud of. You can only guess that. Um, and there's lots of other movies. That that in the movie The Eternals, you have you have a same-sex couple, African American, same-sex couple in the movie The Eternals. So Hollywood has gone woke, <clears throat> and of course, I was turned off from it in the Star Wars movie. Okay, and to me, it wasn't that overt, except the girl kiss scene at the end, 
um, at the very end of the movie. But I was more taken with the fact that this lead character in the Star Wars movie went against everything that you believed if you've studied the, the Star Wars saga from the very beginning. All of a sudden, you have this this girl show up out of the blue with 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 no training whatsoever, and she becomes the most powerful Jedi ever. Like, yeah, right. Give me a break. It was all just political correctness. And I tell you what, this wokeism is ruining, I think, a lot of... Look, I'm not opposed to seeing uh, a gay characters in something or... You know, I mean, so what? But, I mean, if you have to beat your audience over the head with messaging, instead of telling a good story, maybe your story wasn't so good to begin with. Give you the last word, Frank. Yeah, I think in, in that in that that Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi. Once they saw the lady with the purple hair, I knew the I knew the movie was going to be bad. Boom! Thank you. Let us go to John in Connecticut. John, time's running out here. You got to go quickly. All right. Hey, Bo. How are you? You know, Good. I'm trying to enlighten my oh, trying to enlighten my son as to what's going on in the school systems as far as grooming and. Uh, CRT, and he doesn't believe me, and he says, oh, that might be happening in one school. Is there any way that I can get actual, you know, facts? And Yes, John. Uh, in fact, here's something you can do. You can have your son listen to the show tomorrow, and you call me tomorrow, and we will play for you and for your son teachers in their own words talking about what they're doing in schools, okay? <clears throat> I'm willing to devote an entire... St- I will devote an entire segment to it. Instead of talking about what we think, let your son and let America hear from the teachers themselves. What? Actual schools. Like what yes, schools teachers in are. schools. And they will tell you, what in some cases, what grades they're teaching. Absolutely. We'll play some of it tomorrow for you. And we'll play it again on Saturday. Anyway, thanks, John. <clears throat> That's it for today. Boast Nervous Rush Hour comes to a screeching halt, but we'll be back tomorrow, 4 p.m. Eastern. John Katz up next. In the meantime, my friends, my dear friends, may God bless and protect each and every one of you and, of course, your families. Looking forward to seeing you tomorrow and on Saturday. For our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, which begins at 7 a.m. You can sign up for the daily BS, my newsletter, jamesgolden.com. See you tomorrow. Bye.